the incomparable. Number 546, December 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. It's Jason Snell. I'm your host. It's not Kilmas anymore. It's it's post-Kilmas. It's post-Christmas. Um, and it's uh, time to talk about season two of The Mandalorian, which recently concluded on Disney+. And uh, we're going to talk about it with a great panel of people to talk about various Mandalorians, various armored-type people. Uh, there are more, like, it's, they could have called this season The Mandalorians, huh? but they didn't. Uh, let me introduce my panel. Uh, of course, Dan Morin is here, host of A Complicated Profession, The Incomparable's own podcast that goes episode by episode through The Mandalorian. Uh, and I guess he'll take it from here. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. I, I don't I don't want your armor. I want my armor. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Good, good reference there. Also joining us on this panel, Anthony Johnston. It's here. Hello. Hello, Jason. This podcast means more to me than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> Are we all doing the references again? Okay. Helene Wecker is here. Hello. Oh, dank Farrick. I got to come up with a reference. <laughs> James Thompson. Hello. Uh, I'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And Kelly Gamont. I showed up for a podcast, but I feel like you're going to send me off on some sort of side quest instead. <laughs> Where do we begin? Season two. Again, the short, short episodes, short seasons, only eight episodes. We, I feel like we just started and now it's over. Lots of expansion of the universe here in this. And I wanted to start with that, actually, which is I know that we saw the uh, Mos Eisley spaceport and the cantina and stuff in season one. There was there was a bunch of Tatooine and there were some other stuff that were references to uh, to past things, droids and other uh, and other characters. But Season two, it struck me that the broader Star Wars universe comes into play with the plot in a way that season one tread lightly until at least the very, very end. And we get, you know, Moff Gideon is floating around in the background for this whole season until uh, we, you know, he intercedes at several parts, as we expected, really. But we also have, uh, you know, a Jedi, a, a more or less Jedi uh, characters from the Clone Wars, a suggestion that uh, the Mandalorian story may be, you know, instead of being a story of just someone trying to make his way through the galaxy, that this may be part of a more important story than we thought in season one. And I, so I wanted to start there, and we'll start with Dan, since Dan was talking about this every week with many of the people on this podcast, in fact. Um how do you feel about like the path that they're taking here? Is this is it better that the integration with things that we've known in the past about Star Wars is important to the plot and not set dressing, or do you ha- does it give you any pause that what you know what was a show without Jedi now has multiple Jedi appearing in it? You know, how do you feel about how how the show and the show's plot has integrated with the Star Wars universe? I guess you could say we've taken our first step into a larger world, Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I I think it's a it's a tough line to walk, right? I mean, on the one hand, I really enjoyed the small scope of the first season and the fact that we are focusing in on a set of characters and events that were we we were not familiar with, and they showed us a different part of the galaxy of the Star Wars galaxy than we were accustomed to. I think that's great. It was it's a great way to expand, and it gave a lot of those characters and those situations and stuff breathing room for us to 
identify and become fond of them, right? You know, so seeing a character like the Mandalorian, who is not a character that we knew before, or seeing some of the other characters like Cara Dune and Grief Karga show up, who we then developed feelings of attachment for or, or became fans of, um, who were new to the canon, I think it was great that it, they all had time to breathe in that way. But at the same time, you know, Star Wars is a large galaxy, and it's also a galaxy and a set of stories that are fundamentally epic in scope. And so even if we were going to remain tethered to this character who we were not familiar with, I think it started to become clear towards the end of the first season that there were going to be larger battles fought than just the Mandalorian's week-to-week uh, you know, problems that he is encountering. And so I don't know if anybody expected it to dive quite this this headlong into the established canon, but I do feel that for the most part, it was handled well in terms of integrating things that made sense. Um, there was a lot of talk of fan service, uh, you know, which I think in many cases was kind of derisively thrown out there as something like, ah, we're just showing those fans everything they want. And I always kind of feel like on the one hand, A, I'm a fan and I want to see those things. So great. And B, you know, at the same time, if it makes sense and serves the story, then it doesn't feel superfluous to me. So could you have told this story without some of those characters that that came in from other parts of the canon? Maybe, but it didn't really, for me, feel like I needed to, uh, you know, suspend my disbelief too much when when we encountered them because the places where they intersected the story seemed kind of organic to me. Um, so, you know, for example, some of the Mandalorian characters that we encounter this season, it seems obvious that the Mandalorian himself is facing this whole sort of identity crisis. So putting him in conflict with those makes for interesting storytelling. Uh, and once you start pulling on those threads, yes, it is a big galaxy, but it's also sometimes a very small galaxy and we see the same people over and over again. So I think there is a balancing act there. And I think for the most part, they navigated it pretty well. I, I definitely did not feel as though I was necessarily being shown all these shiny toys just so I could be like, oh, it's that thing, right? Um, but at the same time, it's great to see characters I recognize from other things and feel like, oh, now I get a little more on how their stories continue or what they were up to at that time. So I think it was a, a balancing act, but I think they pulled it off for the most part. One of the things I was thinking was that two of the sort of main characters that they dropped into this being Ahsoka Tano and Boba Fett, one of the reasons that they're in there is because they are going to have their own spin-off series. And, you know, it was sort of like almost a sort of backdoor pilot for, you know, we are now going to spin off however many, 10 additional... They're not all spinning off of The Mandalorian. Yeah, there's like no, 10 but, Star Wars shows, right. but some of them are directly related a, a to lot The of them, a, <laughs> yep. a lot of them are. And they, they're going to do a sort of Defender-style thing where they all come together again at the end or something. Man, who, who's the Iron Fist in this group? Mm. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> well, we'll, it's we'll baby see, Yoda. I guess. Nobody wants that. I, I mean, yeah, it kind of feels like a lot of the stuff was pulling more from the sort of Dave Filoni-verse rather than as wide as everything else uh, and you know it was i hadn't watched clone wars before this and i we've gone back and we've you know been making our way through and we're in season five now and it's like seeing things like ahsoka tano who i'd seen in rebels but didn't really know um turn up in this there's a lot more impact but mm -hmm. it, it does feel that like behind the scenes somebody has worked out 
you know, the, the, the greater uh, direction that all this stuff is going to go. And, and it's like, right, now we're going to have Boba Fett because uh, he's going to have 10 shows uh, by uh, 2030. <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little like the fan service uh, term that, to go back to what Dan was saying, um, I feel like that was sometimes, like it was always, almost always used derisively and the way it, w- it ended up being shorthand for, uh, this is a character that I have since discovered is from a piece of Star Wars that I was not particularly into or did not consume. And so I don't care about it as much as everybody else does. And I'm mad about that was kind of how it felt. Um, like, I can't be bothered with cartoons. So why did you bring a cartoon character into my real life TV show was like like a discussion I saw being had at one point. For sure. So I like... Uh, part of what I liked about it was uh, getting to know those people. So like I also had not watched Clone Wars and was watching Clone Wars. Uh, I am also in season five now and uh, very excited about it. And so, yeah, for me, it was a lot bigger deal to see Ahsoka emerge from the mist than it was for Mr. Kelly, who is not watching Clone Wars with me and, and really could take or leave it, I think probably. So, um, like part I, what I liked about this was at least this year, it, this season, it felt a lot like uh, you know, like Dan was saying, a, like it's a big world, but it's a small world. So we were gonna see somebody that we knew, um, whoever it was, and then you know, right at the end of the first episode, we find out, yeah, you know who you're gonna get to see that you might remember from another thing, Boba Fett, um, which was which was very cool, and uh, I was I. Really, I really enjoyed how they did it, and um, you know the casual mention of another character that I can't wait to see. I don't know if he's getting his own show, um, but like I liked a lot of what this season had going for it overall, with um, the different styles of the episodes, like we had last time, and uh, looking forward to what it's going to be uh, when we get season three, which is going to be different from the Book of Boba Fett, which was. Which, which was a very confusing thing for like a week. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad they came out with it. And I, I look forward to this Star Wars workplace comedy. <laughs> yeah, bring on the uh, Admiral Akbar show. <laughs> I feel like the thing that, that, and I don't know if this means I'm just a different type of viewer. I'm not as much of like a, a deep cut fan or whatever. Was I was a little dismayed this season at how the sheer originality of the show seemed to be falling away um that it and i sort of directly proportional to how much it was tying into this um directly into this this larger universe and the larger battles that are going on um because so much of the charm of the first season for me was about how much it felt like a space western slash um samurai you know a uh, lone man facing odds that are you know high odds but for small stakes you know it's will he bring the bounty in it's will he help the villagers like defeat this one you know walker will he you know manage to not be seen by the three dudes who are walking around looking for him and it's not is Bo-Katan going to like get the cruiser so, so she can take back Mandalore um, and that just felt to me like a loss that for me personally I don't know how much is compensated by um, tying in 
more directly to the larger wheels that are turning in the Star Wars universe. There's so much, there was so much fun that first uh, in the first season, just learning about Din Djarin and seeing the relationship develop and between him and, and the child and now having them, well, we can we can get to later what's going to yeah. what happens to them at the end of the season. But I feel like this is now a different show than it was at the beginning of the last season, and I am, um, I am I am less excited, a little more perplexed, but also very much interested in what it's going to be going forward. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much on Helene's side. I mean, I agree that with Dan that they have, I think they've they're walking a very fine line with all these uh, bigger universe elements, the Feloniverse as as they call it, um, bringing them in, and they've handled them pretty well. But I feel the same thing that Helene's saying that it doesn't feel like the same show. Now shows evolve, not necessarily a bad thing, but I hope that they walk it back a little for season three now that they've firmly established yes there are all these other things out there yes this takes place in the same galaxy you all know and love which we all kind of knew anyway i actually hope that they do make it a bit more intimate in the next season i did enjoy this season don't get me wrong i enjoyed it a lot but uh, if it gets more integrated if you like than this into the main star wars universe then i might start to lose interest i mean i think it's instructive to note that Almost all of the parts that people remember fondly from this season are the smaller, more personal parts. I mean, a lot of them in that uh, mid-season episode with Osaka Tano. Uh, you know, things like the when uh, the Mandalorian's trying to get Baby Yoda to, you know, take the ball from him with the Force and things like that. And then the episode, uh, was it following or maybe two following, when he's effectively defending uh, the child from the you know from getting kidnapped while he's in that the ruins of the Jedi Temple. All those kind of, again, as Helene said, the smaller stakes. Those are, I think, the bits that stick in the mind more. Yes, we all love a, a good spaceship battle. Yes, it was great to see a, a pack of Mandalorians in action and kicking ass and all that sort of thing. Yeah, those things <laughs> are fun, but they're not the heart of this show or at least not the way that the show started the show started as yes you know star wars lone wolf and cub and it's not that anymore and so i you know i'm going to tune into season three but i'll be kind of watching with interest because i hope it doesn't go too far off the deep end into the and here's another thing that ties it into the wider universe and here's another character you recognize and, right. and all of that because you can go too far the novelty of that was great and getting to learn all of this stuff because one thing that was really great about season one that stood out to me is basically none of it was stuff I'd ever seen before for the most part, but it was absolutely Star Wars. And I knew yeah. that all the way down to the ground and it was great. Absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. I like some other people here. I'm, I've am i never watched Clone Wars. I've only seen one season of Rebels. I knew who Asaka Tano was by you know just because hello i i'm on the internet in the 21st <laughs> yeah. century um but i knew nothing really about her i had never seen the dark saber before you know there's lots of elements of this which i have no previous knowledge of and they don't affect my enjoyment of the show uh negatively i mean but like i say you can go too far and i i worry that they might 
you know, I hope that they don't tip it too far over into the other direction. I mean, if you look at Rebels, it kind of started out in a similar arc. And like the first season of Rebels is very much, you know, a small story. But by the end of Rebels, it's like every three minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's Princess Leia or it's, you know, (laughs) whoever. And I, I think... I mean, I don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, um, but I, I could see them very much going in the same direction with this and just scaling it up yeah. gradually. That's my suspicion, yeah. Yeah, I, I have one, so it's a couple of things to say that. One, I think of the Rebels is a great analogy, and in Rebels it was a thematic thing, right, because it started as a, a cell and then the, the larger Rebel alliance and how things grow, and there's, there's growing pains with that, and I think that's certainly true here as well. This is the Mandalorian starting out as just lone bounty hunter, and he's becoming embroiled in larger stakes things. Now, that said, I think one of the things, and we talked about the fact that like everything here being set up for spinoffs, I think that will take some of the weight off The Mandalorian, having three other shows happening in this sort of concurrent mm-hmm. timeline. Even if you're tying things together, it means that The Mandalorian show doesn't have to do all of the heavy lifting because there are other shows to sort of pick up on that. And second... I think, as Anthony pointed out, very, very rightly, shows evolve. And I think that doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not something that's inherently bad or good. (laughs) But a lot of shows do evolve and continue sort of changing the stakes and changing, um, you know, the situations and the characters and all of that. And I think it can be used to good effect. And I think... Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see because I, I also enjoyed the small stakes of season one. And I do agree that a lot of the moments that stand out here are not big stakes moments. They are still small and personal in a way that, uh, you know, a Star Wars movie feels much more heavy because the fate of the galaxy rests upon it. Whereas here we're still focused on very personal stakes. Yeah, one of the reasons I asked this question is... I feel like probably what's happening here, and we can talk about where this is going at the end, but probably what's happening here is what you just described about Rebels, which is you start with something that seems very small and personal, and then it expands out into a wider world and into a larger story. And I think that may be what they're doing. Um, The problem with that, you know, and it may be really good. The problem with that is that that trick of making season one so small Season one was really good, and everybody's like, oh, I like this. It's a small story set in the Star Wars universe that isn't necessarily the world's biggest thing. And uh, and the show is sort of like, mm, yeah, I know you like that, but that's not what we're that's not where we're going. And so I, I season two, and we'll get into some of the details of it. I really liked it. I really liked every individual episode. I thought it was fantastic, actually. But I did at several moments say to myself, I kind of miss when it was i don't i don't think the mandalorian could have been very slow episodic it's this guy and his baby yoda going from job to job and occasionally there's somebody you know boff gideon is like i don't know boss hog or something he's like i'll get that baby yoda yet <laughs> right. it's, the, it's the incredible hulk or the incredible hulk right and he goes on to the next te- next planet and he solves a, a thing there and then he moves on like I don't think you could do that for very long. I, I I don't think you could do four seasons of the rambling, wandering Mandalorian. Like I I get that in a modern TV show you need to have a little more focus than that, and yet part of me mourns for that kind of show because this is a show that's like oh and then they met boba fett and then luke skywalker came by for a while <laughs> and the fate of the uh, the mandalorian race and the and the planet and the and the dark saber is now rests on the shoulders of our random bounty hunter guy and like it's like i think that might be a really good story and i think it's very interesting but part of me does think oh i you know i always 
talked about how you could tell an interesting story that was in a a corner of the Star Wars universe and you wouldn't really need to integrate all the Jedi and things like that and you would be fine. And I thought that's what the Mandalorian was going to be. And it's not. It's not. I think not. The, the one challenge there is as soon as you brought the child into it, I think we had basically at the end of the first episode of the show, I think you, you the implications are there just because you're not going to be able to not deal with the whole force thing once you've introduced the child as a concept. It can't be, again, four seasons of wacky adventures where he starts moving stuff around with his mind and like slightly more every season. I think it's going to be a hard sell. <laughs> the one thing that gives me, well, not one thing, that's not fair. There are lots of things that give me hope because as I say, they've handled lots of, yeah, they've done lots of tightrope walking in this season very, very well. And, and I give them, including things like the fan service argument, you know, I give them a lot of credit for having taste and handling things well. But one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is a moment in the very last episode when, uh, and I saw people joking about this online as well, and it really made me laugh, when uh, Moff Gideon is sort of laughing and telling Mando uh, this sort of weird, convoluted methods of how you obtain the dark saber and how you can't just give it away and it has to be won in battle in order for it to be valid on Mandela. And Mando just goes, fine, I yield, whatever, take it. That is, and it just cuts through completely. And I think as long as they keep that kind of attitude in that character, then maybe we can go bigger, you know, or continue to stay at this level at any rate without it becoming unwieldy. I think that's a good point because that was one of the things that frustrated me in other shows is we've done a couple of seasons. We've really like found where we are and, and you know, what we're trying to say or whatever, whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. We feel like we've gotten on the track of that. And now all of our characters are going to do exactly the opposite of what you have known and believed from them this entire time. And now they're all just going to act completely differently and it's fine. And I have a really hard time with that. <laughs> I've given up on shows that have done that. There's two things that I think are, are interesting. One, that the show kind of is saying at the end, it's like, you know, this baby Yoda that's been like the absolute linchpin of this whole thing. We don't need that baby Yoda. You know, he's well, just going to be... Or do we? Well, I we mean, he's, I think <laughs> he's going to be away for a while. You know, he's going to go and have a like a Semester. summer with yeah. Luke. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. And then, you know... I can't imagine that he's going to appear at the very end piloting a tiny starship and save the Mandalorian. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> in his Mandalorian armor. Going, yeah, you're going to yeah. bring him back like teenage Groot and he's just going to yeah. be sitting yeah. around with, with like a game console and growling <laughs> things. He's going to have a weird accent from Baby Yoda's Summer Abroad. <laughs> Girlfriend on Tatooine, you don't know her. Embarrassing me, you are, Dad. <laughs> Maybe he can speak in forward sentences. We don't know. <laughs> um, the thing that I liked about it... Th that was the to me was the interesting setup for the future was the kind of like the fact that the, the Mandalorian has been raised in this particular sort of uh, creed, and then he's coming ac across people who are like, "What? You're one of those yeah. like lunatic mm, yeah. extremists," <laughs> and it's that that I find would be interesting where like yes. everything that he's known and believed might actually not be true. Well, this is the, this is the theme of this season. And also I think the, the parallel journeys of the Mandalorian and the child are essentially deciding what path you want to take and who you want to be. Cause you know, Grogu's got the same challenge of like, well, 
does he want to be a Jedi? Did anybody ask? Right. Like, you know, mm. what does that entail? So I think that I think that's absolutely where the heart of this show is, is the the identity, the personal journeys of these two characters. And they're both foundlings and they both yep. have been set on a path because of the, the, you know, events, but they have to decide for themselves. I agree 100%, Dan. It's something that you and I talked about, I know, last year when I was on the a complicated profession, which is um, this idea of the Mandalorians being a a diaspora, you know, that the, their homeland is, it's unclear. They say it was basically paved to glass, but we don't know the state of, of the planet of Mandalore and we don't know. But I, I like the idea that he is a wandering member of a lost people that have tried to keep their culture alive in different ways. And we saw that with the, with the, the covert in season one, but we then, we then pull back a little bit to realize, you know, and anybody who's watched some of the assorted media knows this already, but the Mandalorian and viewers of the show don't know it which is other Mandalorians live by totally different code and he's actually part of this very specific cult as it turns out that leaves their helmets on all the time when they're around people and stuff like that and that's not the way for other Mandalorians and we meet a bunch of other Mandalorians plus there's the question of Boba Fett who has Mandalorian armor because his dad had it but he's not you know is he in or out what makes somebody a Mandalorian is it their behavior is it the armor is it the you know is it that they're descended from people from Mandalore and Yep. Like all of that identity and being part of diaspora and like, what are you going to take to be your creed? And what is the way? What is the Mandalorian's way? I do think that's what the show is about. And then also potentially is about what Grogu, he's got a name, uh, <laughs> what Grogu is, wants to do. And, you know, what what is his path? Assuming that we see him again at some point, certainly in the first two seasons, that's been part of it, too, is like, what what does the child uh, want to be when he, when he grows up? I mean, physically a very small amount of growth but you know what i mean i mean you don't build that puppet and not use it again it's all i'm saying okay they built the puppet hashtag they built the puppets they built the jason puppets. they built the puppet you don't build up that amount of goodwill with a puppet and not use it again that's the other thing like viewers myself included will go spare if we don't see the child more than for like five seconds next season yeah at the end, I want to talk about our wild theories about about that. But how do how do people feel about the the whole issue of what makes a Mandalorian? I think that that episode that's really great the the like a mm-hmm. boat the boat episode. I yeah. guess that's chapter ten. It's episode two where they're on the. Uh, or, or, the cable net calamari three, episode. Or no, it's episode three. three. <laughs> it's three yeah. Yeah. yeah, episode three. Yeah, I, yeah. It's calamari, it. calamari with big sweaters. Yeah. Fisherman's friend, and then it's like all the, the sea, and they go out in the boat and all of that. But that's the episode where we meet. Go, uh, it's Bo Katan who is Katie Sackoff, and then she's got some fellow Mandalorians, and they take their helmets off, and he's like, "Whoa, what is that all about?" <laughs> and uh, you know, and so were we. It's really that's interesting. One of the things I love about that episode is because we've only seen, as you said, like the covert stuff with the mm-hmm. the um the craft the armorer you know, the, yeah the armorer. the armorer that's it yeah and the, and the workshop in season one and this is the way and all this because we've only seen that that moment is so shocking for us it's yeah. just mm-hmm. as shocking and for it, us as it is for him i love it even even for people who know the background from clone wars and rebels and spent the entire first season going like what is the deal with this guy <laughs> like nobody else <laughs> does this and we were all puzzled too so i think they did a really nice job of basically getting all the viewers in on that because once we'd bought into it, those of us, you know, we, even if we knew the background or knew some of the other Mandalorian stuff, we're like, when it, when is this guy going to like realize that this is this is unusual? And so seeing the conflict and the the sort of dramatic tension underlying that is still powerful, even if you do know that not all Mandalorians don't take their hats off. I love the the whole question of what makes a Mandalorian and and 
what is it to be a foundling as opposed to to have it handed down to you? It, it's, it ties into a lot of like my deeper interests in, in terms of like philosophy and religion and, and stuff like that. And so that is that was sort of the highlight of the season for me um, was watching him change and, and get a little shaken in in his beliefs and it, that it was a thread that ran, you know, straight from the first episode where, where you had, um, the, uh, not, not sheriff, the, um, uh, Marshall, um, on, on Tatooine and, and his borrowed armor and, and through to, to, uh, the Mandalorian and who I'd never met before. And, and I had to have my daughter tell me, Oh yeah, we've seen them. I'm like, okay. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and then, you know, through to, and, and Boba Fett and, and how many, my God, I mean, just like that he took his helmet off twice this season. I feel like, (laughs) like, like there's, there's an escalation happening and I keep forgetting he has an actual face under there. It's like, he's taking his face off every time he takes Mm -hmm. his helmet off. Mm And it's that moment of, oh, oh, yeah, it is Pedro Pascal, isn't it? I was just thinking you don't cast Pedro Pascal unless you want his face at yeah. some point. Yeah, really. Also, hearing his voice come out of his actual face now is so disconcerting. Yes, it's, it's really disconcerting. <laughs> I really enjoy the identity piece of it. And I liked getting to get to the whole, like, uh, what makes a Mandalorian and, you know, and like him sort of like quizzing Boba Fett at one point about like did you take the creed and all this kind of stuff like he has a checklist of what actually makes you mandalorian yeah. or something and Boba Fett oh you're a mandalorian name your top and- three armors yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but like- it's like are you a mandalorian he's like man i'm just a guy and it's like that doesn't I'm answer the question <laughs> yeah well and like and you know actually what does because like you know what we as viewers all we ever knew was that Boba Fett had Mandalorian armor and that was at the end. Um, we have no idea what his relationship was to Mandalore or anything like that. We didn't know anything else about it except that it was Mandalorian armor and that was all. So getting to dig into that piece of it is sort of interesting. And like then finding out that uh, our own, like the, the, the main guy in our series is like Orthodox Mandalorian was kind of weird. <laughs> So I'm I'm interested to see where they take this mostly because I also want to know like how like are there other Mandalorians are out there who maybe don't have a particular relationship with the planet? You know, did he spend time there? Like when we saw the flashbacks of Din Djarin being discovered by the Mandalorians and taken in, like was that on Mandalore or was that somewhere else? Has he ever even been there? Like would there be any reason for him to be invested in any of Bo-Katan's struggle aside from helping her in some way because they've developed this relationship, whether whatever it is, you know, or, you know, something else. Or, or does the, is this how he finds himself and defines himself as a Mandalorian yeah. is right. discovering uh, by taking on this, you know, a role in whatever Bo-Katan is up to, or does he reject mm-hmm. that and say, I, I you know, I'm just going to make my own way. Uh, literally in the in the galaxy 
the whole thing is about challenges to the faith, right? Like that's that's yeah. really what it boils down to. And I, I absolutely love that, as Helene was saying before. I think there's a, a lot of, especially for those of us who have spent time studying religion and stuff like that, like diasporas and all this stuff. It t- I mean, it's hard not for me to not draw the line to Judaism just because there's so many similarities <laughs> oh, into yeah. the like. I'm glad someone else know. said it before yeah. I did. No, I, I was I, making I, myself you know, not I say I it. I said yeah. it in our season <laughs> one episode because I think the, the Mandalorian covert, especially, like really had the yeah. very heavy vibe underground. Jewish diaspora yeah, we're, getting yeah, we're getting hunted down right like there's a lot there and i think it's it's an interesting take and it's interesting to watch him deal with the essentially the orthodoxy in which he's been raised and the the literal and yeah. figurative cracks in his armor as it starts <laughs> to like unpeel there anyway hats off to the mandalorians oh no why no <laughs> but talking about figurative cracks in the armor i think that's been the whole the journey of the whole show so far hasn't it is that he starts out yeah. very independent very i don't need anybody i'm yep. completely self sufficient and nobody is any good for me it's better for me to be alone etc cetera, etc cetera, because they're underground and being hunted and then because of the rogues gallery, because of the supporting cast throughout the show, seasons one and two, he's, you know, become this like team player. Mm-hmm, and now yeah. we assume is going to go off and help bo And that's entirely down to the people he's met along the way who have, you know, changed his character and changed him, yeah. which is a very, a very natural evolution. But it is, again, going back to like, what's the show about? It is one that also by necessity changes what the show is because you can do those small stakes escalate to big climax things in a finite closed story in a very, very satisfying way. But this is not a finite closed story. This is an ongoing TV show. And so you run the risk of having to constantly one-up yourself every season. And that's yeah, how you wind up jumping the shark, literally. Let's talk about Pedro Pascal's uh, pretty, pretty face, because I think that actually <laughs> that is one of the ways that you can chart the Mandalorian's course, the, the Din Djarin's course. Um, he, he reveals his face in the last episode of season one to a droid who has convinced him that he can save his life as long as uh, I'm not a human. It's not going to go against your code. All right, well, then I guess you can save my life. In this season, he reveals his face twice. The first time, because it's that or they all get killed by stormtroopers, basically. Mm. And so he does it under incredible pressure. And, you know, uh, Mayfeld, who returns from last season, basically says, I won't tell anybody or whatever. But it's it's one of those things where he does it, but he, again, does it under duress. And although maybe a year ago, the Mandalorian would not have even done it then, here he is willing to do it to for the mission to succeed. But in the next episode, he does it of his own free will so he can, you know, have his goodbye Unmasked well, with, with Grogu, yeah, it's so that Grogu can touch his pretty face. His right? pretty face, right? <laughs> but it, it's that's a journey. Those three choices show you the journey of the main character of the Mandalorian. Just there, I think. Yeah, I and I would put down. I mean, for me, the scene in the penultimate episode of the season where he has to take his helmet off in order to get scanned by the terrible security device that just wants to know that you have a face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought well, that that how scene else is, is an imperial ATM going to work? Come <laughs> on, yeah. We just want to make sure you're not an alien or a robot. Basically, that's all we really care about. Yep. It's a captcha. Um, I think to me, 
that scene is the standout scene from the entire season yeah. because that entire scene, basically from there to the scene where they're sitting at the table, the three of them. Um, oh. And like, yeah, it's just so good. And the fact to me that the physicality of Pedro Pascal and the fact that even not wearing his helmet, you can see, you can recognize him from his body language. There is one scene to me, the shot to me that will stand out from this entire season is the smallest shot talking about small things from earlier where Mayfeld decides he's going to pick a fight and you can tell that that Mando has realized this and he looks at it, his eyes go to him and then he just does this little head shake tiny yep. head shake nope. it's yes. such a good moment and you're yeah. like I no, can no. picture exactly what that would look like if he was wearing the helmet that totally jibes with who this character is and and just the fact that he could take off the helmet in front of his nominal enemy right like somebody he does not like and who bails him out and then is willing to respect his decision at the end of that and say like, hey, I never saw your face. None of this ever happened. Which is even better if you remember that in the episode where we meet Mayfeld, he's the one who first on the on their way to the um to the jail ship, he's the one who starts in on him with this is the way and how come you yep. you know, we we, we gotta make sure right. you're not a gungan yep. under there and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And and he's the one who's picking on him and now it's yeah. like he's been around it for long enough and he's like seen the guy in action and he and there's and respect. There's like a, a little respect yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, in, it's, oh God, that scene is great. It's just the best scene in this entire season, I think. Yeah. I actually love it uh, through the point where Mayfeld uh, shoots the Imperial, the, mm-hmm. the, the moth. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's amazing because he, he is just winding up all the kind of gleeful, evil things that the Empire does. And Mayfeld earlier in that episode, great episode, by the way, for so many reasons. I think many, uh, many, uh, dissertations may be written about that episode there's so much going on <laughs> in that episode in yeah. um yeah. but the the fact that he's winding up like all the reasons why the empire is good and who cares if these people died and whatever and you get to a scene that is very star wars which is a guy with a blaster blasts another guy uh blasts a bad guy right but there's so much weight in that moment where May- mayfeld does that and then of course the immediate aftermath of this is like uh-oh, <laughs> there's dozens of stormtroopers. What are we going to do? How about out the window? Let's do that. But I like the it's whole okay. thing. They're only stormtroopers. There's so much weight. <laughs> because you know the context, there's so much additional weight to that whole sequence. Even though, yes, the face scanning ATM thing is dumb. It's there. It, it's Star Wars. You know, you can let brown that one go. Eyes. Yeah. It's, mm. oh, God, brown I'm still eyes. imagining it's an the... Imperial data port saying, please click all squares that contain walkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an ATSD or an ATAT? Ooh, I got to think about clicking it. <laughs> the I know we're we're leaning hard on this scene, but the point where he's got the helmet off and he's like still being scanned, and the and and, and the moth is trying to get his attention, and there's this split second. You see, it's like he can't. Ju- he, he, he can't make any excuses to himself anymore. If this is what he's doing, he's turning and facing this guy. He can't lie to himself anymore that, well, I just took my helmet off, but no one saw me. I just took my armor off, but I'm wearing someone else's armor. This is mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. Le- letting like a, like the worst person in the, in, in, yep. in the world see his face. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he wants to barf. And it's yeah. just such an amazing, amazing moment. It's like the the pivotal moment for me for like the whole the whole season that's where his belief system changes like on a cellular level yep like Mm -hmm. this this is what he has to do now and it's not just and it's not for him and i think that might be how he's justifying it is it's not really for me because it's for grogu and 
you know, all these other people that are here with me and everything. And I have to do what I can to save all of that. I, well, I have to question my own beliefs in order to stand up for what I believe in or my responsibility, which is like you're really put yeah. to it right then. Right. I mean, that was always going to be the fundamental conf- conflict of this show is do your beliefs sur- like survive in a situation where this new thing that has entered your life, specifically his protection of the child is at play like how are those those two things had to inevitably be on a collision course from basically the first episode of the show and that Mm -hmm. was where his decision was going to come in but i thought it was really telling as uh my wife cat pointed out in the episode that we did about the finale that post halfway through this season he doesn't really say this is the way anymore like that has already dropped off Mm -hmm. i think it the last time maybe when bo katan says it to him in like episode three. Yeah. In, in a very so. cutting a very and sarcastic. Cut, yeah, yeah, exactly. And like at that point, you can already see it's all starting to crack there. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's really good. Also, I want to mention in that, since we're talking about that episode, this is the believer. Um, the great, the other great thing about that episode is that it takes all we know about Star Wars and flips it in reverse mm-hmm. because they are driving, they're in stormtrooper-ish armor, driving an Imperial truck basically loaded with a very explosive material you got the wages of fear thing going on here another classic movie reference Mm -hmm. which i think um is brilliant because and and if you watch the behind the scenes thing that they dropped on christmas day they talk about it explicitly and dave filoni says look all of the original star wars movies were quoting from classic films Mm-hmm. let's keep doing that because that's what Star Wars is. And so you get wages of fear here, but they are they are driving the bad guy's truck and then they are attacked by basically, the, the, they drive through the village of the people who are native to this planet who, who are not uh, interested in or happy that the Empire is there. Then there's mm-hmm. this group of pirates, but they're not really pirates, are they? They're, they're trying to blow up this stuff and basically drive the Imperials, presumably, off the planet. And yeah. they're theoretically they're the good guys, but the Mandalorians gotta gotta kill them in order to repel to them because yeah. they gotta get in there yeah. for the greater good. But like they're in the bad guys' armor and they're doing bad guy stuff. And when they get saved by Tie Fighters and and yeah, Stormtroopers <laughs> who applaud them and welcome them as they'll be welcomed as heroes into the yeah. Imperial yeah. base, it's Boy. one of those moments where you're like, yeah, hey. <laughs> no, no. Are we the baddies? There's so much yeah. of that in this in this uh, episode. It's great, and they discuss it on the ro- on the on the trip there too. Like at one point, as they're going through the village and they're getting kind of you know rude looks from everybody. I'm sure they didn't show it, you know, because it's a family show. But I'm sure there were people who weren't waving with all of their fingers, <laughs> and you know, like as they go through it, he says like it. Uh, I don't remember what it is that Mayfield says, but it's like, um, uh, it like it doesn't matter who we are because we're all invaders as far as they're concerned. He has that. He he has a very uh, uh, interesting worldview about like, well, it doesn't matter who's in charge. Everybody just gets yeah. crushed, whether it's the Empire yeah. or not. Which is which is like really, really. But that that's what this whole episode is about, right? Is then you see the Imperials and you're like, well. Okay, they are who we understand, but we also see the people out there. And while Mayfeld is waxing philosophical about <laughs> galactic powers crushing the little guy, all Din Jaren is doing is looking out the window at the kids who are uh, in this village and all these mm-hmm. p- defenseless people who are being crushed. And like you get the sense that uh, that uh, Mayfield is is interested in the theory of it and talking about this stuff, whereas. Uh, the Mandalorian kind of, you know, lived it and yeah. and identifies with them on a much more 
uh, personal level. I mean, Mayfield is kind of like both sides in it. Yeah, you know, it's totally. like oh, both yeah, sides are, are totally really as bad no as each good other. Good galactic government. It's all you bad. know, Jedi, Sith. It's all the same thing. <laughs> so much of that. And 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 the larger talk about you know where where your beliefs lie and 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 you know all of that is what happens when the rubber hits the road is is it's all theoretical until you've got a yeah. blaster and the guy across the table from you is saying you know things that you hate and so you know Mayfield talks a good game and then he shoots the guy and then he blows up all of the the blow upables and <laughs> it's the same for Dinjarin that. You know, he can say this is the way all he wants until, like, he has to, like, take his helmet off if he wants to save his kid. And that's where it becomes a lot less theoretical and a lot more, like, how am I going to sleep at night? Which is exactly what uh, what Mayfield ends up saying in the end. Yeah. Can your dogma survive empathy? Yep. Is kind of, you know, both both of those characters are facing the same that same question from different directions, obviously in different ways. And it's interesting that both of them decide actually no, no, it can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I've liked in in this particular series um is uh Grogu slash the child being terrible. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. As as not a parent, I, I guess. <laughs> Um, it's a theoretical thing for me, but just seeing. Oh no, him... little kids are no. terrible. I, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you said it. So uh... <laughs> no, they're ter- yeah. they're monsters. They're monsters, and they don't have force powers, and they're monsters. And yeah, the the whole thing with him eating the eggs from the oh. frog lady, and just having like pockets full of them, and <laughs> th- them taking the time to say how you know this the last of her. Um, yeah. Of her family uh, line. Of her of her family line. And yet mm. he's just like popping them like candy. And then he's <laughs> nicking stuff off the kids in the school using his force powers. Yes. And I, it made me I, the exact tense, the exact same tense that I recognized from when my kids were toddlers. And we would uh-huh. go into a room at someone's house and it would be like, okay, how are they going to destroy this? What do I need to move? What do I need to already apologize for? You know, where, where, where are the lines of defense here? And I did really appreciate that specifically with, with the child because it, it sort of, for me, called back to um, – when he force choked Cara Dune last mm-hmm. uh, season. And it's like, okay, toddlers are by definition amoral. They do not, you know, it's it's about me because that is the universe that I know. And I think they've played a little fast and loose with, okay, how exactly, you know, age apparently is just a number with this species, but what what sort of self-awareness and larger awareness and, and you know, he's had training, quote unquote, but now what does that mean? Yeah. Um, sort of, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing some hand waving there, but, but this is, this is someone with, you know, clearly astonishing power who we have seen them go bad before. And so that they're, I, I think they've done a really good job and a, a very smart job of keeping that in our awareness of, yes, this is a cute little toddler this is baby yoda everyone has the doll oh yeah and he can also kill you um and and without remorse either and, and that's kind of what ahsoka tano says she's like it's you know it's better that his powers fade because i've seen this happen before he's got an attachment to you you're like his father figure 
and that could be used against him. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker, maybe you've heard of him? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's dead, yeah. man. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure he's dead. I kind of agree with her. I think, you know, that... Wait, yeah, let that let that well, die. Let him just be a kid. And that's her that's her argument ultimately is well you can you can get on the stone and call up the Jedi and see if Jedi somebody's hotline. willing So yeah, see see if somebody's willing to see train who him. Picks up. But I think absolutely <laughs> if if nobody answers the Jedi hotline, the right answer is to say just let it fade and let mm-hmm. him just live his life because because the what you don't want is somebody who is going to be uh trouble in like the growing up angry yeah yeah, exactly put the tiny handcuffs on him and you know (laughs) that's right everybody carries those around right yeah and i I think that was an interesting point and i think again a place where everything contained in that episode is perfectly uh, makes perfect sense if you don't know any of the background of these characters who are from the wider canon and again, add more resonance the more time that you have spent with those characters and have seen the context they are viewing it through. Because certainly, if you know anything about Ahsoka Tana going to this, it is that she was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And so it's clear how some of those feelings could be uh, traumatic for her. That may not be the case for everyone, right? Like not everyone is going to say, we, and we, we've debated this in the past with our, our views of the prequels and stuff and whether the Jedi are in fact pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah. clear whether or not no attachments is actually the right thing to do. But having seen how it can go wrong, you can understand why somebody would say, maybe that is the better, better path is just to let it, let it fade. But who knows? But it's we built don't. in. It's even if you've only seen the original trilogy, it's built right into it. This idea, in fact, even just the first movie. You know, one of the things, one of the successes, I think, of Star Wars, and one of the reasons it endures, is because built right into the story, right into the mythology, is this very concrete notion that if you don't keep a check on sort of you know ma- um, extreme powers, you could be corrupted by them and quite literally turn to the dark side and become evil. That's built right in to the whole concept of Star Wars right from the start. And we see it play out almost with Luke in 2 and 3, and obviously with Vader's backstory and all of this. It's it's right there. And so every time we see a character who has that kind of power start to use it in ways that are not saintly... (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think we're we're very aware of what can go wrong. Mm-hmm. I liked mm-hmm. him in the cell when he was just sort of whapping the stormtroopers back and <laughs> yeah. forth off the walls. Yeah. And you can imagine a tantrum because he didn't get some macaroons. Oh God! Yeah, so he has more restraint than we think because when he lets it, lets it rip with the stormtroopers, uh, but that is also disturbing that he has that kind of power and he's he's mm-hmm. causing such harm. And by the way, Moff Gideon just watches. He's like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very tire yourself out, kid. Yep, that's right. Exactly right. Well, oh, so. Gro- so- <laughs> yourself hearing things that i've said right right that's what he's yep. doing he's like oh you know yep. these are just stormtroopers whatever tire yourself he's out gonna and then sleep I'll... so it's good fine. Tonight. he'll sleep well oh, maybe yeah. he'll sleep through the night for once for god's yeah, sake i've got exactly. like two dozen dark troopers i don't even need these guys <laughs> baby yoda plot line we should talk about it a little bit more i think um he gets a name grogu there's some people out there who are like oh grogu it's such a dumb name well yoda is also a dumb name i guess yep. but agree it's fine they, hello it's, this is star wars it's star <laughs> wars yeah right the there are lots of dumb names in star wars and uh, you grogu it's fine um 
Ahsoka. We get her episode, which is interesting unto itself. There's, uh, you know, we get lots of cool stuff with Beskar armor and uh, lightsabers. That's not going to come back. Uh, oh yeah, of course it is. Everything comes back in this show. Um, and then, and then the idea of he gets taken because this is part of the plot. We we find along the way that our uh, our creepy uh, Doctor Pershing, who was uh, working for uh, Werner Herzog, uh, they they have taken his blood in order to measure the M count, which is very high. Um, nobody wants to say midichlorians, but. Nope. I said it. Uh, and uh, because the midichlorians versus Mandalorians, it's fair. There's a lot of M words. They're really uh, long. The midichlorian, another spinoff series <laughs> yes. coming next year. So, so uh, uh, that obviously what's going on here is that there's a plot with Moff Gideon. He wants the blood in order to make somebody have force powers, I guess. Or there, there's a lot of speculation. Is this like they're creating, uh, they're creating Snoke from the uh, sequel trilogy or who knows what the plot is there. But that's why they are pursuing the child. And of course, they, they, they take Grogu and they, they mount a rescue, which is successful in the last episode. And then he gets taken off by Luke Skywalker to be trained, I guess, in this five years out from Return of the Jedi period where... Um, there's nobody for Luke to train yet because that'll, you know, because Ben Solo hasn't been born, I think, at this point. So um, that's 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 the, the the Grogu story, the Baby Yoda story. How did everybody feel about, about, you know, learning more about him and having him kind of progress in this way and interact with a couple different Jedi? Uh, you know, obviously the breakout character, everybody loves Baby Yoda, um, but now what about after this season, how do we feel about Baby Yoda? I think I enjoy him more, uh, having seen this dark side to him. Um, <laughs> James, and I, I would watch you would, James. You would. I would watch a whole series of him stealing stuff, <laughs> and eating it, and, and, and smashing up stormtroopers. Well, you know, like you can do that as well, but you know, just using his powers for really, really bad reasons. <laughs> Baby Yoda gone bad. Is this the Untitled Baby Yoda game? Is that what you're playing? <laughs> well, you know, Actually, he can he idea. can get like a little uh, black cloak, and uh, he can just sort of walk around being a terrible Sith Lord baby. Well, um, I don't think Luke sure. is going to allow that. I think it's an interesting. I, I mean, first of all. The the quote unquote surprise at the end, right where we see Luke appear. I think, to my mind, what's nice about that is it made sense. Everybody who is watching this show knows who Luke Skywalker is, right? Hundred yeah. percent. Yes. If it wasn't Luke, you were going to have to pull somebody else, either create an entirely new Jedi, which again, probably fine. But then you're like, where was this person during the whole? All thing these other that things we saw. Down? Samuel L. Jackson appears and says, "I didn't die." <laughs> There like, was a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation before this. Let me tell you. And like, so either you have to do that, or you have to pull somebody from the wider canon who is maybe unfamiliar to a lot of people, as Ahsoka was. And I think Ahsoka was kind of the biggest player, and so having her sort of off the board from earlier in the season mm-hmm. meant you, you know, that was not going to happen. And so I'm glad that it, it didn't like. Let's just pull something out of left field, <laughs> and instead it's like, all right, this makes sense. We know Luke is out there. We know that he is attempting to train new Jedi at this point. It mm-hmm. makes sense that he would be the one who would come into contact with him. Um, that said, it opens a ton of questions about like yeah. where we're going in the future because we know the eventual fate of Luke's Jedi Academy and it's not great. Yeah. Uh, so what happens? Is Baby Yoda one of the Knights of Ren and is like a tiny... <laughs> in like driving like a little robot suit maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I have a theory, a theory. which is okay. that um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. We're into the theory time. It's theory time. All right. I think we'll see Baby Yoda again in The Mandalorian, and ultimately they'll be reunited, because why would they do this show and not have uh, Grogu yeah. come back? I, I, I think that he's going to... I, I wouldn't put it past the show to have a little bit of a time jump, even, um, mm-hmm. but and have a return of, of Grogu for some reason. Is it like Luke shows up for the first five minutes of next season being like, woof, kids a handful, <laughs> back to you. Yeah, he ate all my macarons, okay? Yeah. He comes home on winter break and they have adventures. Well, that's that, I was thinking like spring break Baby Yoda would be. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> With sunglasses. We're, and the, like, yeah, uh, we're going to Tatooine. The whole planet oh is a beach. God. It's great. We know Boba Fett. He's there now. Break spring. (laughs) Breaks. The break for spring spring. it is. (laughs) The one thing I didn't like about Luke showing up and taking baby Yoda away was that it does put limits on on Grogu's story. Um, Just and, and. it's not that he can he can't go off and do anything. It does it is the fact that it opens up these questions and I did not want to be thinking about those questions in that moment. And again, if you like you said, if you want to if you if if you're going to have a Jedi come, it's got to be Luke. Although I was sort of afterwards I was like, wouldn't it have been awesome if it was that X-wing pilot cop yeah, that we yeah. saw oh, earlier? From <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, from King's right. the, the he's just been a secret Jedi all this time and he's like, could you just not tell anyone like, okay, I'm going to take the baby, I'm going to take him home and I got kids to raise and I got mouths to feed and he'll I'll train him too, but like I just wish it could. It's have a been. great setup for a cop not a cop show where they exactly. like oh, yeah. crimes, yeah. yeah. Well, there is there is that whatever Rangers of the New Republic or whatever that is a spinoff that I I'm going to just put it down here I think that those characters that we saw uh, including Dave Filoni probably will be in that show and it's literally just going to be chips in space where they're going to be pulling people over for like having their taillights out (laughs) faulty transponder I would finally somebody's making troops again yeah exactly I would adore that just you know glancing off the greater canon every once in a while in ways that you know, maybe serve a purpose story-wise and maybe don't and just have it not be about the fate of the universe for once. I would just love that. And you could have like Jason Sudeikis as the antagonist in that show because he was in the last episode of season one, Stone Trooper. That, that would work. By the way, uh, because the nerds are going to get me, um, according to Wikipedia, Ben Solo was born five years after the Battle of Yavin and would be four years old during the events of The Mandalorian. So can you imagine now a four-year-old Ben Solo with a new playmate? It's Grogu. What oh shenanigans are those two oh no. going to get into? That's Woo! the spinoff title. It's Grogu. <laughs> it's Grogu. With Grogu an and Ben. What adventures will Grogu and Ben? That'll be a new animated series, maybe. Grogu. The Adventures oh, of Grogu is. and Ben. Muppet Babies, Grogu and Ben. Basically just a ball and the two of them trying to get the ball back yeah. from each other. And, but <laughs> imagine all the candy they're going to steal. Whoa. Oh, like oh, like they stealing team up candy by babies. Um, the, fun, the thing is, we joke about it, but at the same time, it's like, okay, if they are doing these 17 spinoffs and whatever, maybe there's room now. Maybe, you know, you couldn't have had, you're just thinking about like an analog being the, the Marvel you know, Cinematic Universe there they discovered there was room for a guardians of the galaxy you know in among everything else and you know eventually did get tied into the larger you know struggle and and you know may have you know suffered a bit from that i would argue but you know they could 
do something like that and and maybe it'd be nice if they just sort of deflated them their their ex- own expectations for you know light and dark in the universe and just have it be about like someone who wants cookies that would be fine <laughs> i think that there is a lot of room in there to to expand what we have seen there's a pretty big gap between essentially this and the new trilogy, which yeah. has not been really explored a lot. And I think it does open up a lot of possibilities for what might happen, including things like, well, perhaps Grogu and the Mandalorian are off someplace else uh, by that point. Uh, it could be far outside the the Outer Rim. You know, maybe there's a place that is out of touch with the events going on in this part of the galaxy at this point, and that's the reason they aren't involved in the sequel trilogy. I don't think it necessarily caps his story, Grogu's story, as neatly as it would suggest based on what we know right now, because there's still a lot of time and a lot of space to play with in the galaxy. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of possibility where it goes. I agree with Jason that it seems unlikely that they will take Grogu totally out of commission for the entire next season because, again, so much of the, the successful formula of this has had has been about the relationship between those two. What now? Let's let's get to it then. What what do people think? Uh, where do people think this is going? Where do you think the story goes from here? We had the post credit sequence with the book of Boba Fett, and for a couple of days, everybody's like, "Is the next season of the Mandalorian about Boba Fett? Because that's kind of weird." But you know, okay. And um, and they said, "Nope, that's not true. The book of Boba Fett is a spinoff, and then there will be Mandalorian season three after that." Uh, where do they go from here? Do they do they do we see? Uh, Din Djarin kind of trying to go back to his old ways. Is he going to be pulled into the the greater story of Bo-Katan's attempts to uh, to take back Mandalore from whatever you know Imperial remnant is around there? It, you know what what do you what are your expectations for where this story goes? And and really, I'm kind of also asking, what do you think the show is going to turn out to be about? Because up to now, it's been about the Mandalorian and, and Baby Yoda. And now it's sort of an open question about what season three of The Mandalorian is about. I could totally see him sitting on the throne of Mandalore <laughs> oh, a, a, yeah. as some kind of like unwilling ruler, but he has the magic stick. And... Yep. <laughs> it's Conan the King, isn't it? Yeah. You could argue that the secret story that Dave Filoni has wanted to tell here is actually about how a reluctant hero ends up being the one who finally brings yeah. the Mandalorian people back to Mandalore and he doesn't want it. And we've seen his refusal to the call, <laughs> like literally take it. No, take it. I don't want it anymore. Yeah. And like, I can't take <laughs> yeah. it from you. And what if he turns out to be that that so hero right that is needed in that yeah. in that moment, even though he wasn't even raised, you know, he, he was a foundling yeah. in a weird cult, but he ends up being the savior of Mandalore. That would be uh, an epic story. And I think it's quite possible that that's what story think, they're trying I to tell. I think that's yeah. extremely likely. They're not going to... Again, based on both the stuff that we see in the show and the stuff that's from the other shows that tie into this, they did not drop the whole thing with, ah, oh, the Darksaber has to be won in combat, just as like a fun fact, everyone. And like, yeah, they, they gave him the Darksaber, they put it out there so that that would be a conflict probably going into the next season. And I, I totally agree with you, Jason. I think that the reluctant hero is going to be a part of that. It may be that he tries to go back to living the bounty hunter, bounty hunter life and people keep showing up and being like, <laughs> either trying to like kill him and take the sword. Oh from yeah. Him, or just being like Bo-Katan and everyone's showing up and being like, seriously, 
Seriously, Do. you gotta you gotta help us. You got the you got the freaking sword. You gotta come help us. So yeah. I, I could easily see a first episode that involves him like trying to just do bounties and everybody's like on his case. And yeah, eventually he's gotta sort of join up with them. And and Grogu could certainly pay, play a part in that at some point. Like we might get a few episodes of him trying to get by on his own. And who knows what happens? I, I do really like the what they have set up here in in that. In that he does play by such different rules of, as as you know the 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 rest of the Mandalorians and and he's just like it's it's a stupid sword and they're the rest of them are like yeah and it's a stupid helmet and <laughs> you know the that he would have to negotiate that and he would have to figure out okay put all of the dogma aside what is it that I am willing to fight for and is that does does that jive with like what you know mandalore you know retaking mandalore would would involve and so i i really do hope that they they keep that part of the character intact and in in the whole thread of what it is to be a believer and what it is that's worth either fighting for or or breaking your beliefs for well and can he refuse the call because he wears the armor right i feel like that's in the end i think as long as you wear that armor which is a real tactical advantage if you're a bounty hunter um, yeah. that that you have to follow some sort of legacy or you're you know or are you like Boba Fett who's kind of a renegade who is not like nobody's really clear like why you try to take the armor from him and you can't but otherwise mm-hmm. um, like is he a Mandalorian or not and does does Din Jaren want to be in that and I you know I think he wants to keep wearing the armor so I think that it means he has to sign up for something. He could end up like the head of Death Watch instead, you know, back with the the Orthodox lot. And that might be an interesting story as well, as he's he has to lead these people who, you know, have been portrayed in the Clone Wars as effectively terrorists. Um, And that would be a sort of interesting moral thing for him to deal with. Or he'd uh, have to get Death Watch to join in the fight, and they'll yes, be like, "Absolutely, yes. but yeah. you, yeah. but you've fallen. You have, you know, and you took off your helmet. Like, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> you. you're not one of us anymore. Yeah. We got the footage from this ATM of you taking your helmet off. <laughs> they they've made a big deal throughout both seasons of this of him keeping his promises, and when he takes on a job, he sees it through yeah. to the end and all that stuff. So I think a large, I expect a large part of season three is going to be about. Bo-Katan or somebody else trying to persuade him to commit to that cause. And yeah, I think because there, there are two major plot points left dangling that we that have not been closed at the end of season two, and they are the Mandalore Bo-Katan thing and the fact that Moff Gideon is alive. They could very, very easily have killed Moff Gideon and nobody would have thought that he'd been hard done by, but they didn't. They kept him alive. Therefore, Surely that story, well, and they showed us the, you know, the Snoke-like clones and what have you. Surely that story isn't over. So those two things, I think, must come back into play during season three. And picking up on what uh, James said about the the terrorist angle, I really think that that... Do you remember that season of Battlestar Galactica? Where they were terrorists, essentially. The occupation Uh, arc, yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. I could really see something, not to that extent, but something like that playing out on Mandalore and turning yeah. them back into rebels, essentially, trying to, you know, sort of take the planet back from the Empire. The only other major thing that was left kind of unexplained, or not explained, but unexplored, was Cara Dune becoming a federal marshal. Yeah. Um, you know, or a, what do they call it? A New Republic marshal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's uh, where know, that's going. That's, that's getting that badge right. That surely yeah. has to also play into it. But I did wonder if maybe she's going to go into the spinoff with. I think she's in the. I think the Ranger spinoff will be exactly her, with the yeah, X-wing yeah. guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cara Dune and the X-Wing guys. Yeah. Great band. 80s. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're gonna, again, they're pulling over ships here and there, checking their license and registration. I yeah. can't wait. It'll be great. And then dropkick anybody who argues. <laughs> when we first start wrapping up that episode, we see the X-Wing. Um, I figured it was going to end up being Luke, but I really wanted it to be Leia because yeah. his story is one of the most known. Of all the people whose stories we know, Right. It feels like we know his the most. And so I wanted it to be somebody we knew a little less. It was nice that it was Luke and, and the moment that they had and all of that was great. But I really did sort of want it to be somebody a little bit less known. And as soon as we got the long lingering shot of the gloved hand, I was like, yeah, we know. But on the green lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. But I mean, it was really cool to see him like go through a platoon of uh, dark. Oh troopers. yeah, I was kind of hoping uh, like that was butter. just to assuage all the all the people who complained about like not seeing him be like a butt kicker in in episode yeah. seven. Yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is Luke at Luke at the height of his powers right this here is Luke. Yeah. before he has his, his spirit crushed. And you know, I think I think logically it needed to be Luke because who else is going to be like the representative Jedi? And and Leia has only been not only just you know, just had a kid has only just been trained or is being trained. I do wonder if maybe uh, Luke brings Baby Yoda home and is like, Leia, I got a, an apprentice for you. And you've already got a little one in the house, so uh, go to town. <laughs> like, and, that, and that's the whole thing, is it's, the, uh, it's Luke, it's, it's Leia Han and, uh, and Ben and, and Grogu. And it's uh, just trouble. imagine trying to get Harrison Ford back for that. Grogu and Ben having a real Spock Michael Burnham <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. I feel like at that point <laughs> we're back to uh, to my my Ben and Grogu sitcom. By the way, so yeah, it's Grogu. <laughs> what I want out of it, and I know that like real life is going to in- interfere with this, as in you know shooting schedules and all that, is um, I feel like a completely valid path, at least for some period of time is for the Mandalorian to just go work for Boba Fett instead of having to process feelings or whatever. (laughs) It's better than therapy. Like, yeah, like I don't need therapy. I just need some bounty pucks. Let's make this happen. And, you know, like helping Boba get his empire off the ground, you know, or whatever that's going to turn into. So, and I know that like two different shows and all of that, and they're not going to like put them together in the way that I imagine it, which is like, quite a while that we spend watching him bounty hunt and continue to bounce off these other people that are like maybe you don't understand but like you have a date with mandalore and you really need to go work that out i think you're right though i think that the way the season three starts is going to be the mandalorian trying to get back to his life the way it was before and and failing ultimately failing that Mm -hmm. that he can't Can't escape all the all the friends he's made all of the responsibilities he's got he can't go back to the way it was and then his his ship got blown up you know yeah he'll he'll he'll, he'll, like he found a used ship that he can use now that it's okay he can get around keep coming by knocking on his door all the neighbors are showing up and every now and again (laughs) he'll just open up a little hologram of grogu and look at it and sigh wistfully his old bounty puck yeah. high value target and just look at it i i think to kelly's point though it makes sense that in terms of tying all these things together i think you know for example i would not be surprised to see him have to go to tatooine and and sort of call in a favor from boba fett and be like hey i need your help with the whole mandalore situation eventually uh you know that could be a part of it Who do you knows? think boba fett resents Cobb vanth for uh for buying his old armor and wearing it for all those years do you think 
There's a, no, I don't know. We're gonna see Timothy Oliphant. So. Is he gonna? Is I he gonna like resolve resolve his his differences with Boba Fett? They're on Tatooine. They're both. I don't. Well, they're not really lawmen. They're both uh, figures on Tatooine. Well, one's, one's a lawman and one's a criminal, which yeah. means Ooh. we've basically just recreated Justified. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. The book. It's it's Cobb Vanth is throwing the book of Boba Fett at Boba Fett, and that's what that show is. If he finds a Stetson to wear, it's all over. <laughs> so, well, much like Jason's Ben and Grogu sitcom, I'm still pitching the book of Boba Fett as a workplace comedy that happens to be set in Jabba's palace. <laughs> I, I want that very very much i know it's not gonna happen yeah. um but one thing that i liked in the in the making of in all of this was when they talked about the detail that they put into like all of those they, sets and they, things they built like, the hashtag they built the sets uh and i think yeah. that's because of the book yeah. of boba fett but yeah they rebuilt because they realized they couldn't do it in the volume they rebuilt yeah. the jabba's palace yeah. set from Return of the Jedi, including lots of details that are you don't like, do that for a one minute teaser at the end of an episode. No. The, the strong implication of the of the behind the scenes thing is that they scoured not just the film, but like all of the extras and and on set mm-hmm. footage, so that they could get every possible yeah. angle of every possible detail of that set to rebuild it. So, and it is very oh. impressive for a for a post credit sequence and a the spin-off. thing that <laughs> the thing that Princess Leia hits her head on as she goes yeah, the, those to like save wind chimes or whatever yeah that's wild I, I didn't we even, built that yeah you know like watching them watching them get into that level of detail if nothing else it like even if I don't agree with their decisions I cannot fault them for their respect for the original material and their deep desire to make sure it's right it's so funny because like you could sit there thinking i mean it's been like five years probably those wind chimes like fell down at some point no those wind chimes are there they've right? <laughs> no. been there for five years Bib nothing Fortuna has changed has tried to maintain the palace as as like jabba would have wanted it yeah. to be <laughs> he's, basically Fortuna. he's like the lucasfilm employees he wants it to be exact mm-hmm. in every detail. <laughs> He's charging admission. It's a whole museum experience. <laughs> Someone floated the idea of Boba Fett joining the rebellion on Mandalore, and now I can't get the image of Ming Na Wen sitting on the Mandalore throne out of my head. How how awesome <laughs> oh. would that be? <laughs> I, I'm glad <laughs> that she came back and she wasn't just oh, like yes, a, a, a character that got killed off. Yeah. If it hadn't been for the fact that I really enjoy her and Boba together, like I saw her, like as soon as she walked in and went to the bar behind the throne and picked up that bottle of whatever it was like i was like i really really want to see her sit down on that throne and throw one leg over one of the arms and just kick back and like i wanted that so badly but i'm like but i really like boba fett so it's okay that he's there for now but like that vision is the thing i can't get out of my mind at the end of that i can wait a season to see it to to bring it back around a little bit i i think to what where we started which is this question of sort of like stepping into a wider universe um, I, this season kind of did a lot of, I, w- I was going to say rehab on Boba Fett, but it's like work on detail work on Boba Fett, which, yeah. who didn't really, you know, he, he didn't really have a lot. He, he's, he lives large in people's minds, but in terms of on screen, especially in, on, on the films, there's very little of him. And so here they pay, take some time to portray the Boba Fett that sort of everybody, I think everybody wanted Boba Fett to be. They try to, they they try to get him to, to that place. And I think did it pretty successfully. I did find it hilarious in the episode where they lose Grogu, um, that Boba Fett and, and Fennec show up and 
that's the moment when we talk about like, are they setting off spinoffs, setting up spinoffs? That's the moment where I'm like, they're literally stepping into the show from their own show that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and at the time I was just like, it's like there's a whole Boba Fett show happening that we don't even see. And I was like, no, we, but we will, we're about to see it. Yeah. We're they, gonna. They are, they are making that show. But it, it, and I think in a good way, it was like, oh, there's a dynamic here. These are characters who are being played like, like uh, not one-offs. They, they are, they are in their own story that is in intersecting with this story here and i thought that was uh i thought they did it successfully it's great ming na wen is amazing and then uh uh to get uh Temura morrison right the the maori mm-hmm. actor who played yeah. jango fett to be boba fett and to start him out as this kind of grizzled dude in a in like a robe <laughs> and then be like give me my yes. armor back it's great i i thought it was i thought they did a good job in something that could have been done cynically and disappointingly it it wasn't done that way. The best joke in the entire season is still Boba Fett commenting they can't go into the Imperial base because they might recognize they, his mm, face. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> oh, and being told God. at one point, like by by a Bo-Katan, like you know, you, know don't voice. you mean your donor? Yeah, and, yeah and, she says yeah. I've heard your voice and all and, times. and, so and good. all of us lean forward in our chairs and go, well, actually, he's a perfect duplicate <laughs> that was raised as his son and is not a. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we had that conversation at my house yeah. when that happened yeah. because yeah. I went because like I just like I did what I thought was some some basic math at that point and looked at him and went oh my god it's Boba Fett and Mr Kelly's like what but, but that's Boba Fett now? but how do you know that's well look at him and then we roll through the credits and I'm like that's his name yeah he played <laughs> he plays Boba Fett no because he's Boba Fett in the prequels no he's not Kelly because. In the prequels, Boba Fett is just a kid. He's a kid. Yeah. Let me, so you don't remember. Th- Hang on. So then I have to go look, like look, pull up look, episode Wikipedia, two and just go look, here. <laughs> no, I just took him to the bit in episode two where we we find all of it out. And he goes, here you go. And, at, you know, the deal was you get one that's not accelerated. So he's just going to age like a regular person. But he's a clone of you, just like all the rest of them are, you know, but this one is yours to raise. And here we go. And this is about the fan service thing that I, I agree completely. Like, first off, it's Star Wars. Um, it would be really weird if you attempted, you did not attempt to uh, service the fans, right? Like, it's their fans are there. They're, they're there to watch it. It's all about execution and about importance. And like, yes, a tossed off reference that calls attention to itself adds nothing and that confuses people who don't get right. it. That's bad fan service. Bad fan service is bad. Good fan service is integrating things from this tapestry that's been woven over 40 years and giving li- like either delightful Easter eggs to people that other people who don't get it don't care. Like Ahsoka yeah. is a great example. Like Ahsoka is awesome. Uh, Rosario Dawson is a great bit of casting. She is great. Yes. You don't need to have seen the animated series mm-hmm. to be like, that's a really interesting character. I wonder what her story is. Is, right like that's good fan service and the boba fett stuff i think is like that too where like it's cool that it's the same actor who played Django, and we know the details about them being the source genetically for the clone troopers and all that but if if it doesn't really matter if all you vaguely remember is boba fett from return of the jedi and empire strikes back and you now he's, a, that's now he's a grizzled guy who's like i want my armor back and you're like oh okay it's boba fett <laughs> yeah. got it like that and that's good fan <laughs> that's service because that's, there you go because either you get it and it's just part of the story and you don't need to know anything or it's an easter egg and then nobody else needs to know it's the bad fan service that's bad 
it is interesting to see the shift in Star Wars from being a film franchise to being a essentially a TV franchise. And that's yeah. happened yeah. right now because The Mandalorian is all there is right now. And there's about to be a lot more shows before there's more movies. And those movies, from what we know at the moment, are not going to be replays of what we have seen before. So streaming is carrying Star Wars as a franchise. And frankly, given that it had its origins in the idea of you know classic serials, makes perfect Which is sense. a new <laughs> hunk of story each time that you go... Go to the thing. Yeah, that would be great. The thing the thing I'm most interested in with turning it into a TV series is not having them tie it all together. It's that um, but it's that viewpoint. We saw a little bit of it in Rogue One where we we get Jen Urso who's talking about like I can't afford to have a political viewpoint about anything because I'm busy trying to survive. And like and having some of that perspective in some of these stories where like the stakes are not the universe the stakes are not who's going to ultimately have control politically over this entire galaxy it's not you know stopping a tyrant or stopping him again or stopping him in some third interesting way it's going <laughs> to end up like always like it's going to end up being you know the the guy that runs the cantina is going to lose the cantina if something doesn't change right whatever like i would be happy with very low level stakes in a star wars story be just Arthur's to find son, out i think b arthur's son yeah. runs the cantina that makes sense <laughs> um that makes it more like that would still be interesting and like i think i think it's like john Favreau at one point says like like I wanted to watch a whole movie just about the guys in the cantina when I first saw Star Wars. And like I would too. I think that's where they're headed. And I, I hope that it ends up just being interesting stories and that they take that Pixar approach of like it really needs to be a great, compelling, interesting story before we worry about what cool effects we can put into it or how it ties into the larger world or any of that stuff. Like we really need to have a compelling story in the first place. And I will watch all of them all day long. I mean, it's not like they're giving us... 10 TV shows all at the same time. Right. No, instead, it's just making sure this is the plan. Star, this is the way uh, Star Trek is doing this, too. <laughs> it's like the goal is to make, make it so you can never cancel the streaming service. That's the goal of, well, sure. of all of this. Yeah. So there'll there be Star be Wars. Wolf. Star Wars on And you know week. what? If we yep. could live in a world where there's a Star Trek show, a Star Wars show, and a Marvel show at releasing every week of the year, I'm okay with that. I'm okay I want it. to go to there. I'm okay with it. Well, there is 2022. So, you know, right. maybe late 2021. So we'll get there. Uh, any final thoughts about The Mandalorian before we, uh, season two, before we wrap it up? Uh, of course, uh, once again, I'll note that you can listen to detailed discussions of every single episode on Dan's podcast on the uh, on the TV podcast called uh, Complicated Profession. But um, any last thoughts for now before we wrap it up? I think all I want to say, because we, we've covered, you know, a whole bunch of stuff about the the season as a whole and the sort of arc of the season, is reiterate that the individual episodes of this season were great. They were. Like, every single one of them was mm -hmm. well-written, well-directed, well-performed. They had great guest stars, great supporting characters. Like, just, you could take any one episode of this season and show it to somebody and go, this is, you know, a quality... There's no filler. You could say this is a quality show. Here is a sample episode and they're all really good. And to execute consistently on that level. OK, it's only eight episodes, but still, trust me, we have six episode seasons over here in the UK regularly and you still get a stinker or two in the middle oh, yeah. of them. <laughs> you know, it, to consistently Indeed. execute at that high level and not drop the ball 
is even with all the resources that they have at their disposal, thanks to Disney, it's still extraordinary. And I think they really should be commended for that. Something that really struck me in watching, I'm trying to remember if it was an interview or a behind the scenes thing, was the, the some of the people on the crew talking about, look, the work that we do on this show, it's the same work we do on the movies. It doesn't matter to us whether this is a movie or a TV show. We're making the same kinds of creatures, props, visual effects, all of this stuff. And to me, that shows. I mean, to Anthony's point, it's basically like you could you could pull out any of these episodes and say like, this looks like a movie, right? Like, I mean, and that distinction is is academic, you know. One one could argue at this point, but I, it has a cinematic uh, feel to it that executes at such a high level. I think you know, if you consider cinema to be sort of like an, an art form that you're trying to shoot for, I, I think the execution of a, both a technical and a creative level. It just is delightful to watch. And I think what The Mandalorian has showed us more than anything in this season really continued to drive home is that you can continue to create things that feel like Star Wars and and get everybody from new fans to fans who from 40 years, you know, uh, invested in the stories that you're telling. Uh, and to me, that's that's a lot. I mean, you know, I think a big reason that you do eight episodes and they're shorter episodes than probably an hour long uh, is because you feel like you can execute those episodes and, and you don't feel like you have to delve too much into into filler territory or, you know, you know, I, I've recapped shows that have 22, 23 episodes a season. And let me tell you. A lot of them aren't good. Um, so I think to me, yeah, that's what it is. Is It's, it's all about the execution. We, could, we, we wouldn't be here talking about this if it was Star Wars, but it was terrible. I, I think the thing that bothers me the most about this is having watched this show, it made me go off and watch Clone Wars. And having yeah. watched Clone Wars, I was thinking, I should really rewatch the prequels. <laughs> yeah, you know, I followed down that. I followed down that hole, James, and then you're like, "Oh wait, no, these are not the characters I know and love from the, from no. Clone Wars." Even That's though they what kind Wikipedia of are. is for. <laughs> it's it's a weird feeling though because it starts to give you warm fuzzy feelings about these characters, and then you're like, "Oh no, but those movies are still bad." What I'm excited about with this with with the Mandalorian specifically is the same thing that I liked about um, the last wave of. Uh, Marvel movies, which is we are making something that is a heist movie. You know, it's it's a heist. It's a samurai, you know, your standard samurai storytelling uh, scaffolding around this episode. Um, it's a buddy movie kind of a thing. And yet all of them are Star Wars all the way down to the ground. Like, you know, like we were saying, like it's absolutely a Star Wars show, but there's the episode with Ahsoka that is very much the samurai one. And there's the first episode, which is very much a Western one and having all of those things be very, very different, but also part of the same series and part of the same universe and have the storytelling through line of all of them, even though each of the stories is in such a different style. You know, I mean, we bring Robert Rodriguez in to like let Boba Fett kick a bunch of butt and it's great. Right. And like we get to the end of that and I felt like I like at the end it says directed by Robert Rodriguez. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That was what I would have guessed. I didn't realize they'd roped him into Star Wars. So I really like how they are. They seem to be expanding the definitions of what can be a Star Wars unit of entertainment. And yep. I look forward to all future forms. All future units. <laughs> I, I would like to see, you know, like the... Uh, 
um, Taika Waititi film, which I think is one of the many things in the pipeline I that they so. can do something different, like they did with Th- like he did with Thor. Right? Mm-hmm. Also, for those people who are, who look at some of these things and, and are sad because like the setting of the Mandalorian is right after Return of the Jedi, and so other than having a brief. A very expensive appearance by Luke <laughs> at the end of this. You can't really explore some of this stuff. I'll just point out that they are also doing more animated series. And you could do a show, as they've done in the past, that brings in canonical characters, but animated and not yeah. have to spend uh, a lot of time making, you know, Return of the Jedi Luke come back for, you know, a couple of minutes at the end of The Mandalorian. So there's there's sure. room in the animated shows to tell some of those stories, too. And so, I don't know, you know, maybe Ben and Ben and Baby Yoda is uh, is an, an, an animated. So come on, it's we'll like see. the new elf. It's it's the family plus. <laughs> yeah. plus it's Grogu. Grogu. It's Grogu. And the end of it's the theme Grogu. song is Han Solo saying Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> I have such mixed feelings about this show. And part of it, I think, is um, the position that I am uh, coming into it from that I sort of want to maintain, which is someone who hasn't seen all of the associated, um, you know, stuff. And and at this point, I don't know how much of that is, is me just sort of being stubborn about it and saying, no, I'm going to not learn more about this universe just so I can judge it from my very particular position of 70% in the Star Wars universe instead of 100% like everyone else. Um, and at that point, am I just, you know, cutting off my nose to spite my face? But I, I do, um, I am just also really interested in what you can get away with as a, a content creator who is adding on to a universe that you you can't assume everyone knows every nut and bolt um and i and at the same time tell a good story there are so many ways to tell as we see you know there it seems like there are many many ways to tell a star wars story um some of them resonate more than others some of them plug in to you know the the, the larger canon or universe more than others and i feel like i've i'm my disadvantage is also a privilege in that i i, I do get to sort of judge on a different scale or maybe it just feels like a different scale because of the nerds I hang out with and who are my nerds and I love them um but yeah I'm really interested to see where we go from here um and whether they will keep walking that tightrope or whether like the tightrope itself will sort of have to change um and in that they either how long can you keep doing that at some point you have to either go all in or or pull it back so um yeah those are my ramblings no no i i get that and i i really appreciate your idea that um you might be getting like like a a trap it's a trap as someone might say that uh you're like well wait a second i thought i was just signing on for one star wars show and now you're gonna spin off four different ones that are all interrelated and you're gonna make me look up references to the previous ones and all that and i i kind of appreciate that because i I would say one of the things i defined as good fan service is the ability to watch something and not feel the need to look it up and that it's like it works on that level and i i I loved this season. I do think every episode was good. I share with you, Helene, this little sort of creeping concern 
not like not yet, but I'm getting there where it's sort of like I don't want this to turn into a an aggressive, you know, franchising, merchandising expansion. I only signed I might want to watch those other shows, but I only signed up for this one and don't make me feel like I bought you know, I bought a box that requires two other boxes in order to assemble, right? I, that for me, that's what I, I where I have my hesitation. I think they maybe went a little too far with the backdoor piloting of multiple series in this season. That even though it was enjoyable, I also did feel at several points like there's another TV show being built, and and I didn't yeah. agree to this. <laughs> The flip side is making you want to watch those other things. Yeah. Right? Of course, like of course. And, and certainly at the same time of not having to look things up, I sort of the experience of being like, oh, what is that? I need to go find out it, more about that. Right. Right? Like, again, it's walking that Optionally. line. Walking that line. I keep wa- sort of remembering, you know, where I felt, oh, God, how many, like a decade ago? It was like, oh, yeah, we're all being frog marched toward the first Avengers movie. Like, okay, no, you've seen this and you've seen this and you've seen this. So now, of course, you're going to go have to see this and feeling like like they had somehow snared us. And, and going from there to, you know, a few years ago, bawling in the theater when, when uh, <laughs> you know, during Endgame. Yeah. It's like, okay, so you got me in the middle there and y- y- some where at some point I just, you know, gave myself over to this thing. And will it happen again? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, um, people should definitely check out Dan's podcast if they want to hear much more about season two of The Mandalorian. But uh, for now, we're going to sign off for uh, for this year from The Incomparable. Good riddance, 2020. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. Let me thank my guests before we go. Anthony Johnston, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jason. Long live the Empire. No, wait. <laughs> what? Dan, take off that helmet. Dan Morin, thank you. It's Grogu. <laughs> it's in color. Helene Wecker, thank you. Thank you very much. James Thompson, thank you very much. The human inside this podcast was the final weakness to be solved. <laughs> and Kelly Gamont, thank you. So the real podcast was the friends we made along the way? Uh, perhaps so. And now this podcast will be taken by Luke Skywalker to an unknown location, but we'll return... Uh, See you next year, everybody. Goodbye.